We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome back, everyone, to The Truth Perspective. I'm your host, Harrison Cayley. With me, my co-host, Elon Martin. Hi, everybody. And joining us today, we've got Sod Editors Shane The Chance and Carolyn McCallum. Hi, everybody. Hi. So we're going to continue off kind of where we, a bit where we left off last week, talking about religion. And before we kind of get into all the nitty-gritty, everything you ever wanted to know about religion, but we're too afraid to ask, um, we've just got some updates from some of the stories that we talked about last week. So take it away, Shane. Uh, so the first story uh, that we'll get into is the uh, attack on a home in Palestine uh, in uh, the town of Duma. There was a, a, a home was burned. The parents and both the four-year-old son had... You know, severe uh, injuries, and in that there was a 18-month-old baby uh, that had had died from the burns. So um, there had been a lot of media stories covering this, actually, and um, on the scene uh, there were there was graffiti, you know, um, on the walls of the house uh, saying "Revenge" and along with the Messiah in Hebrew. And so there was a lot of uh, international condemnation over, you know, the, this this attack. Um, and there was a, there was several arrests made. Um, most recently, uh, there was a, one young man. His name was uh, Mir Eitinger. Uh He's a, a far white, far right. Jewish uh, extremist, and um, he was arrested. The um, Israel Shin Bet, they didn't release information saying he was directly connected to uh, the incident. Uh, however, uh, his his previous um, actions, and, you know, it, there's a lot of parallels but between what he's done in the past and what he's called for, uh, and, and this... Uh, in this latest incident, so um, you know it's good that this guy was caught. However, you know it also does bring up this um, this issue where you know there there's these news stories that are saying that oh you know there's this Jewish there are these settler terrorists and you know they're very extreme and you know they don't at all represent Israel settlers and and uh, and Israel. But you know the reality is that they do. I mean, they're it's, it's such a, a it's it's really the epitome. They're uh, protected. They're given support, even if it's covert. Right. They're armed. And um, there's there's one there's another related article that I was reading where um, you know Palestinians when they report uh, attacks that are done to them, uh, these are individual attacks. Obviously, you know this isn't even talking about the wide-scale attacks that are that are committed against them uh, from the Israeli government. But uh, 
in relation to individual attacks, uh, the prosecution rate is something like 1.9% mm-hmm. uh, of, um, you know, is anything, you know, they, they don't find any evidence, you know, they, they really don't investigate investigate these crimes and everything is all, all covered up. And, and there's stories, and, you know, you see it on a daily basis of settler violence against the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Um, what made this one so, so interesting is that it was so egregious, it was mm-hmm. so awful that even Netanyahu had to stand up and say, yes, this is terrible, we're so sorry it happened, we're investigating. And and in in the alternative media and in, in the one that is more sympathetic to the Palestinian situation, they, he was decried up and down for the hypocrisy of it. And yet in Western media, it was like, oh, look at how compassionate they are. Look at yeah. – they're actually going to – you know, they're going to do something about this and isn't that wonderful? And it was just disgusting, mm-hmm. quite well, frankly. Even in the – well, in the, you know, the far right – regions of Israel, um, which is, is pretty actually, it's pretty widespread. Um, so there's this, uh, this is, there's another article from the Jerusalem Post uh, talking about the uh, the ZOA, which is the Zionist Organization of America. Um, they they came out uh, condemning the attack, and but they said, but there's a rush to blame Jews for the last week's arson attack, and they said uh, the um, Morton Klein, uh, who's heading the organization, um, he he claimed that the uh, arson that killed the baby uh, may have been perpetrated by feuding Arab clans, and that and 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 in in his statement he was comparing uh, the Palestinians to the Nazis. Uh, who would stage these false flag attacks. Um, he said, Palestinian Arab terrorists have repeatedly borrowed from this Nazi playbook, staging and fabricating incidents to blame on non-existent Jewish extremists in Israel. With a straight face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And, and, and like reading the comments down underneath the article, it was, it was just like this, you're in this bizarro world where, like, Okay, Israel is like the the the, the number one fat, false flag perpetrator of you know they, they've they've like practically invented it you know and it's it just it's like yeah, it's like bizarre world mm-hmm. seeing uh you know these just these these really rabid and bizarre comments it's not it's not anything uh, new or um, you know this this idea that there's settler violence like. Yes, we we see it all the time. Like, mm-hmm. There's no hiding that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. I read one other incident, and there, there's just such a, a flood of articles around this incident, detailing other things. And there was one where where um, some poor Palestinian kids kids they were coming home from school, and they started to get hassled by some adults, and they ran to, I guess the only enforcement thing, which was a you know some Israeli police or IDF or I don't know somebody who, who had some authority to do something about this, and they detained the kids. Even though they saw the whole thing happened, they detained and questioned the kids. It was it's, it's unbelievable. Well, the thing that gets me about that Netanyahu comment is by him saying that, first of all, it draws attention to this one incident, and I think one of the things that goes on is that people will naturally get the impression that this is one incident, mm-hmm. and it kind of sticks out. So it's like, oh, this is such a terrible thing. 
and as if it's something that's uh, outside of the norm when this stuff happens all the time, and as if the official kind of Israeli response is that this is such a terrible thing, whereas the mentality um, held by this lunatic that did this, this murderer, is held by so many people. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, just to follow up on a story from last week, again, um, just I think it was the day before or the day after, there was the the LGBT parade in Jerusalem where the another loony stabbed six people. And apparently the day after, um, a bunch of right-winger extremist Israelis gathered in Zion Square to celebrate the stabbings. And uh, the funny thing about the parade was that, so, so I mean, LGBT parades, they're all about, um, like, equal rights and... Um, you know, equality in general, and, and yet being able to be who you are yet, publicly, and yet um, Palestinians weren't allowed to come to Jerusalem for the parade. So, how's that for equality? Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, but um, religion and crazy, like the the crazy aspect of religion, isn't just in Israel, of course. Um, it is in pretty much every country where you find religion. Um, a story from the U.S. in Indiana. A seven-year-old boy, he was banished from sitting with his friends at lunch because he didn't believe in God. So during class, this this is a guy, a little kid in the second grade, he had told his friends that uh, he didn't go to church. Well, this was in class. He said he didn't go to church because he didn't believe in God. And so he was punished by his school teacher for this. Um, which is, uh, well, ridiculous. But we'll get into that when we get into uh, some of the um, just aspects of religion in general and how we see it. Um, one more story. This isn't really a news story. It's um, There's an article published in Salon by Paul Rosenberg on Christian Reconstructionism. So this is the kind of stuff that was started by um, this theologian uh, Rush Dooney, and it's kind of like the same ideology behind the um, like the C Street guys, the dominionism and stuff like that. And so just to give an aspect into or an insight into kind of the some of the, the crazier varieties of Christianity, uh, these guys want, well, first of all, they don't think that America is a free country because freedom as Um, as it is portrayed in the media, they say is akin to slavery. It is slavery. It's slavery to sin. Now, um, well, I've got my own thoughts on that. I think they're probably not too far from the truth on that, but for reasons that they (laughs) probably wouldn't agree with. But their goal is to, uh, well, their kind of unstated goal, kind of like base the surface of everything they say, is to establish a theocracy based on biblical law. So this would be a testament law. So in a sense, the crazy Christians are pretty much just, uh, like crazy Jews. Um, and, you know, of course, that would include zoning gays to death um, to bring in the LGBT angle. So according to Rajani, uh, biblical authority is God's authority delegated to humans who exercise dominion under God's law in three distinct God-ordained institutions. So this is Rosenberg getting, summarizing what's going on. Um, the family, the church, and the civil government. Each of these institutions has carefully delineated and limited responsibilities. 
When humans decide that those institutions should serve any functions beyond the ones ordained by God, they presume the autonomy and supremacy of human reason and thus violate biblical law. So this is actually a quote from a guy uh, wrote, that wrote a book on this. So then Rosenberg says, so they presume the autonomy and supremacy, uh, oh no, no, sorry, I repeated that. So tyranny for them is violating that law and the God-ordained separation of powers behind it. And freedom is opposite of tyranny, following the law. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. Okay, but let's see if we can figure out what's going on here. So tyranny is violating the law of God because so, you're doing whatever you want. Right. So so if there's so if, if there's a, a law that God says so you know you know someone's like eating a you know a Ritz cracker on three o'clock on on the Sabbath or something, and th- that person should be stoned to death or something like that. That's the law of God. And so you're, And you're free under that. Yeah, and you're free under that. But if someone were to say that's a stupid law and that we shouldn't stone people who eat Ritz crackers at three o'clock on the Sabbath, that is actually tyranny. And you're a slave. Yeah. And then you should be stoned. And then you should be stoned. <laughs> so so to, ah. through this kind of strange biblical logic... Um, Tyranny, you like. <laughs> I mean, how do you even say this in words? They they basically will set up a, a tyranny, a, like a, a tyrannical system um, for God against tyranny, which they think is anything that is kind of like rational and not crazy. So, uh, a tyranny, you know, in in, in everything but name. Um, <laughs> but it's our tyranny. <laughs> <clears throat> well, yeah, it's our tyranny. But they wouldn't call it that. It's, it's God's law. So, so everything in the Bible is true in God's law. And anytime, anything, that, anything against that is tyranny. So I guess that, well, that, the Bible itself must be tyrannical because it contradicts itself at places. So in one place it'll say one thing and in another place it'll say another. So I guess, um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of in a bind here because it's kind of like a catch-22. You can't do this because otherwise you're a tyrant. Or, but if you follow the other biblical verse, then you're also a tyrant, so maybe everyone should just get stoned. Uh, well, actually, you know... <laughs> to quote Bob Dylan. <laughs> Everybody must get stoned. Um, but it's actually kind of even worse than just the kind of bad logic, because what a lot of the stuff in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is pretty much psychopathic morality. And what this is, is just making that morality normative. Mm-hmm. So it then applies to everyone. And then they say that if you go against this psychopathic morality in just, you know, by a hair's breadth even, then you are, then it is tyranny and it is an evil thing. And of course that tyranny must be overthrown. So it's just a recipe for disaster, this kind of, this way of looking at things. It's, it really reminds me of, you know, the whole just police state mentality, mm-hmm. um, you know, by a lot of, you know, that a lot of cops have. And, you know, you, people will, it, it's not so much just people breaking the law, but it's questioning their authority that, mm-hmm. that really that's brings it out. Them off. Yeah. So, like, that's, that's what they're seeing as, you know, this, this tyranny that must be stomped out. Like, question, question me and, you know, you, you'll basically die. And, and take that a step further, um, you know, just um, not registering chickens, 
where you live in some places. Uh, yeah. you, you might be considered, well, they haven't taken it that far yet. Maybe it'll go closer to, uh, you know, to vaccinations. But um, there's this uh, black or white thinking that's being applied across the board to every type of uh, open-minded and, and reasoned thinking applied to anything that isn't uh, the, the state's dictates. So um, it, it feels very much like there's this great divide that, that's not only being stressed over religious lines, but over all different types of uh, sociological, political strata. Well, there was a really great article um, that was on signs probably a good Lord called Moral Endoskeletons and Exoskeletons, a Perspective on America's Cultural Divide and Current Crisis. And it's a very interesting perspective on basically two psychological types, and then you can go back to authoritarian followers and, and you know, however, there's, there's like a dozen different labels you can put on this very apparently basic division between types of human beings. And there's the ones that are have a moral endoskeleton, regardless of the society they live in, will behave according to an internal code. Now then you can get into what that internal code is, but you know, they'll, you know, not cheat their neighbors and <clears throat> work hard and, and be basically decent human beings. Then there's another one that doesn't seem to have that internalization of values, if you want to go back to Dabrowski. Mm -hmm. And they're described as having moral exoskeletons and they have this tremendous fear that if there is not this externally imposed structure that, that governs how you live and how you behave and how you relate to other human beings, then it will simply descend into anarchy. And any <clears throat> anything that threatens that, they they think the world is going to end. And and so religion, as at least as it's practiced in, in most places today, seems to be one structure that these people rely upon. Mm -hmm to make sure that their world doesn't completely fracture and, and descend into anarchy. Mm -hmm. So, And the thing about an exoskeleton, it's kind of like a, just the clothes that you wear, so it's totally dependent on the manufacturer So, uh, and the style of the day. So these people with moral exoskeletons, uh, it's, it, you know, they'll wear anything. It's just what they're born into. So if you have this set of rules, this code, um, even, and it doesn't even have to be like a religious book. It can be um, just the, the societal norms and uh, the culture that they're raised in. If there's any pathological material in there, they don't have the capacity to recognize it as, as pathological. They don't have the inner ability to parse out and discern if something is just a bad you know, unjust law or not. Right. And so they'll accept and internalize this pathological mindset and then rigidly hang on to it no matter what. Regardless of how destructive and detrimental it is. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, it's, it's so dangerous because, because uh, well, first of all, you, you get people like this, like these uh, reconstructionists that, that want to go around stoning people because it's in the Bible. Um, and then not only do you have that, it's so hard to, to stop it because they're latched onto this for life probably. Mm -hmm. And, you, I mean, it's so frustrating because, uh, you know, I, I've got this love-hate relationship with Facebook because, uh, you know, there's 
my friends post a lot of good stuff, but then a lot of the good stuff is actually really depressing stuff. Like when you see just uh, you know videos of totally idiotic people that are uh, just um, you know makes makes you ashamed to be a human. Mm-hmm. Like there was this woman uh, I saw a video the other day. She was in a looked like a line at a at a restaurant or something, and wow. she was this, she was this older um, you know white American telling off this. Um, Spanish-speaking woman who was there with her son and saying, you know, you can't speak, uh, you can't speak Spanish in America. You know, we speak English here. We fought for our freedom. We fought so that we wouldn't, that we could speak English. And and you can't speak, you can't speak Spanish. And her son is like, is kind of trying to reason with this woman, which is impossible because you oh, yeah. can tell she's just totally. She kept going in circles. <laughs> it was, it was just. Uh... But what the the funny. Th- one of the funny things about it, even though it's not really funny, was just how often in this like three minute clip that she contradicted herself and showed how that she just didn't really know what she was saying. She didn't have any like rational capabilities. She was saying mm-hmm. that America is a country of free speech. So, you know, free speech doesn't matter what language you're, you know, speak speech can be in any language. So presumably if you have free speech, you can say whatever you want in whatever language you want. But no. We have free speech. We fought for our freedom. We speak English, and you can't speak. Uh, you can't speak Spanish, and no one can tell us what to do, even though I'm telling you what to do. It was, no, he said, and he said both those things to her. I know. And and her, her her you could just watch her brain short circuiting right on camera. <laughs> well, that's precisely it. I mean, you know, we haven't, and I think this point has been made previously. Uh, we just haven't developed, or many folks, especially the authoritarian-raised individuals, haven't developed any kind of uh, critical faculty for making nuanced um, decisions about certain things that that would involve uh, kind of how they're interacting with people. Um, everything has been more or less put down as either in the Bible or not, and. Um, and so there, there's no, uh, there's no suffering, for lack of a better word, uh, involved in the uh, authentic decisions that would help to grow them as people, mm-hmm. um, and and refine their own understanding of of their place among other people. Um, so that's been taken away from them at a very early age, mm-hmm. and um, and that seems to be. You know, one one of the worst things about religion is it's you're taught not to reason. Well, not only that, it, it in another way it sort of creates a kind of tribalism. So you know, you're either in the tribe, you're a Christian, you're whoever. But because of this tribal mindset, you you are not obliged to or even have to consider the idea of empathy. Mm-hmm. to anyone outside of the tribe who behaves according to the norms that you say. And that's what this woman had. She had absolutely no empathy for this woman who could speak a reasonable amount of English. Uh, the guy stood there saying uh, she cleans offices, she works really hard, she's contributing, and then it just it just didn't, it didn't face this other gal one bit because this woman was not in the tribe. Mm-hmm. You know? well, the, the irony with that, too, is that there's this, this tribalism that you're talking about, Carolyn, it's, it's, it seems to be more of a modern type where, um, you know, individuals within that tribe are very much isolated, um, mm-hmm. not just from outside tribes, but from even people within their own tribe. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a very individualistic tribe. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Um, but uh, getting back to this, uh, the the religion aspect, um, you know, it's 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 really bizarre uh, how this idea uh, of you know what religion could be, which you know when when growing up, um, you know, I kind of thought of religion as uh, a means of you know, a way to explain, you know, what life is, uh, and, you know, what you, what you could become, how to live life, basically. Um, you know, as I grew older, um, you know, those explanations, you know, didn't really, um, you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't really any substance to it. So, uh, I kind of, you know, you grow out of that and when you start thinking about things, um, but basically, you know, what, religion this false religion has become is this um this way to it's kind of like a thought reform process mm-hmm. where people rely you know, on this external authority um to you know develop how they should be you know who they are and you know they really it, there's there's no there's no internal will there it's just dependent on you know this this external factor and which, um, when you brought up pathologicals earlier, Harrison, that's that's really the direction that um, people go, and then then their thoughts become, you know, ad- adapted uh, to this uh, this psychopathic thinking, this pathological worldview, and you know things just get turned upside down when you know actual religion uh, or true a true religion, you know, should be about you know. Um, that the the real development of uh, of an individual of a person and you know uh, the utilization of a person's own will uh, to develop their thoughts and you know their uh, how, how they behave and how they interact with others. You no, know, even religions, I, I almost have a little kind of schizophrenic split within them because you always have. Well, I don't want to generalize, but. Most religions seem to have several currents. Um, there's one that is about the managing the population of the religion, the social engineering, the trying keeping it thing, and then there's another stream where those who really see through to what the stated goal of most religions seems to be, which is to become closer to God, to become more in union with that spiritual thing. They major religion seems to sit on their mystics horribly. Mm-hmm. You know, you you go through, I mean, you know, when I was in second grade, I wanted to be a saint. And the more mm-hmm. I read about saints, you get treated really badly yeah. by the religion they you're killed, trying to be a saint for. They and kill they you. killed their own prophets. They do. <laughs> they do. And and it seems that when you ever, whenever you get somebody who really catches the, the true intent of whatever spark got that particular structure going, the structure turns on them mm-hmm. because that would th- it threatens the structure. I mean, the St. Francis or Teresa or, or in, in Sufism, the, the, the myst- they, they were constantly on the edge with, with the greater uh, organization because they were the ones who could turn around and point to the structure and say, you are messed up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a real interesting push and pull to watch throughout the history, and we're seeing it even in these days. Well, I want to kind of go off on that a little bit. Um, So what exactly, you know, I've been thinking, what exactly is a religion? And 
if you know it's there's of course there's all kinds of different ways to approach religion and studies of religion but the the best definition that i can seem to come up with is that it's simply um a way of life um informed by that which the individual or community regards as the most important so this uh, this uh, i mean it's more modern today to look at it in an individual sense like your individual spirituality but historically religions have been a uh, societal thing, a cultural thing, a community thing. It's been like uh, intricately bound with this sense of community that a religion is the, the the work and the and the practice and the life of a community together. And so it is it is centered around this the the things that they think is more is most important that they think are more most important. So and typically it seems to be almost universal among humans throughout history that that. Um, that most important goes to something above and beyond just uh, just humanity. That there is something greater, and that that is uh, you know what you could maybe put in in language of that is what is worthy of worship, is that thing that is greater. And to strive to become closer to. Yeah, and to and to kind of and to live in harmony with it, and and, uh, and not be um, um, divorced from it, or um, you know to reconcile yourself with it. And the community, but with a, with a definition like that, it seems to me that it makes sense of a lot of phenomena that I see in the world, because we do live in an increasingly secular world where a lot of people would say they are not religious, but I think that they're lying to themselves and lying to everyone else, even if they don't know it, because they are deeply religious. I think religion is a fundamental aspect, or the, the religious mentality is a fundamental aspect of humanity, and we just. It, they're just part of a different religion mm-hmm. because I think that you can have a religion of the self just where you worship yourself as the most important thing in the universe or um, even a, you know, a, a, a religion of family where all you're, all you're worried about is your family or your progeny or, or, and nothing else and no one else matters or you know, religion of your group. It could be something as simple as you know your, your bowling team, yeah, your bowling team, or your Comic Con p- culture, or uh, you know bar. Apple. Uh, if you're an Apple fanatic, I mean that's the religion of of Steve Jobs, um, where you know these people will will go on um, what's the word um, like a pilgrimage? Yeah, the pilgrimage to the Apple Store and, and wait for days and days and and suffer. You know they'll pay homage. They'll they'll crawl on on hands and knees. <laughs> Uh, sleep to, in the rain for three days. Yeah, <laughs> in order to get the the holy, the new holy device to, that will put them in contact with you know, the thing that's most important to them. And then, of course, I mean, in our culture, we've also got religion of sexuality, where the where sex is the most important thing. And or entertainers. Yeah. Elvis. Uh, yeah, the cult personality. And and movie Apologies stars. To Elvis fans. And and even the religion, the the, the religion of religions. Where the most important thing to you is your religion um, doesn't even matter, you know, what their religion is really about. It's just that's the thing that's most important to you, and um, and if that's the most important thing to you, regardless of anything else, like any actual internal and objective values, then that's when you get stuff like uh, like we've been talking about. You can get fanaticism and um, and violence and murder and just outright bigotry and hatred because. That's the most important thing. And so not only that, but it also explains uh, the mentality that you'll see in people who are virulently anti-religion. 
So um, I think that atheism and scientism are just two modern new religions. Mm-hmm. So you see, you know, a guy like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, and they're, uh, you know, they're they're apostles for the cause. They're they're preaching the word, and um, they want converts. And and there is a religious zeal to yeah. like when when you hear them talk. Uh, there there is that like intensity mm-hmm. uh, behind their speeches that. Well, it is very to, much preaching. They're out know? to save the world yeah. from religion. Not only that, but they're, they'll demonize guys like Rupert Sheldrake, mm-hmm. uh, who come out with any kind of alternative understanding of, of what reality is. And they do so with such a vehemence that you, you have to wonder, you know, what is motivating them to to be so um, vicious? What, I, what I, are they defending? Against he's, a, the he's a heretic, so... Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's, that exactly describes the, this phenomenon that Harrison is describing, I think. Another example, uh, uh, there's an article on thought on peer review, just uh, put up in the last few days, and it was a critique of peer review because, I mean, uh, there's all kinds of studies coming out now, it, peer-reviewed studies, keep that in mind so you can trust them, that... Uh, <laughs> That, peer reviews are useless. Yeah. <laughs> well, for example, in the journal, there there was a uh, a big thing done in the, in the Journal of Nature um, where they looked at all the studies for you know over a period of I can't remember if it was one or two years or something like that in uh, hematology and oncology. So they looked through all these papers and then they tried to replicate them. So they looked at all the papers and see if the results could actually be replicated. Only 11% of the papers could actually be replicated. So 89% of these papers were junk. And so if you think about that, then this is just these two fields, but if, if the, the statistics can be extrapolated, just think about that, 90% almost of all papers might be worthless, all peer-reviewed papers. And yet, if you have a, like, if you have a discussion with someone, um, one of these scientismists, then they, they worship peer review. It's like holy scripture. Because if it's peer-reviewed, that means it's rock-solid knowledge. This is the thing that I can put my faith in. This is the thing that I can tell the world. And if you don't believe it, you're a heretic and you're stupid. The synod has approved it. Yeah. And it's and this peer review. If you read these journals and you read this peer-reviewed paper, it is accepted without question, just like holy scriptures, right? So I mean, you know, so and so and so and so and so and so et al said this, and we must believe it, and therefore you are wrong. Well, not only that, and no, just saying, uh, and peace be with them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not only that, they they function, it functions as as another way religion functions, which is as a gatekeeper to unaccepted, unacceptable ideas. Who was Mm -hmm. it that, was it Sheldrake? Nature turned down one of Sheldrake's papers that he had like replicated his, uh, one of his studies about dogs knowing when their owners are coming home. Anyway, something about that or the science. And yeah, he had data upon data upon data. He had run this thing like so many times. Nature was going to publish it, and then they pulled it. Yeah. So you get you get that function too of of religion as as a social a keeper of social structures that they can, by the very nature of it, exclude ideas that they find unacceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, when we look at um, religious fanatics, whether they are in Israel or anywhere else. Uh, they they have certain accoutrements and there are certain behaviors and they carry them, themselves in a certain way perhaps and that might be stereotypical perception on my part but um, so they they present a danger to to anyone who isn't like them and um, I'm thinking that 
uh, you know, as I was listening to your descriptions of, of these new religions, uh, that there are these dangers being presented uh, with, with with much less of an obvious presentation. Um, all of these all of these religions close off the possibilities for anything else, as mm-hmm. you as you were saying, Carolyn. Uh, there's an an orthodoxy, a narrow mindedness uh, that shuts out. Um, the possibility for uh, other modes of thinking, for other approaches to to doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in science especially. Uh, so, well, what's really interesting is that all of these descriptions of new religions and old old religions have some very similar basic, you know, similar similarities. Similars in structure, similars in mindset, and there was a really, really good book uh, that came out, I don't know how long ago, called The Corruption of Reality by a gentleman named Schumacher. Yeah, it was in the 90s. Somewhere. 90s? Oh, well worth reading. Try to get hold of a copy. It's getting harder and harder. Um, but he, he outlines the idea that there is something in the human mind, the human psyche, that predisposes it to religious structures, how they take form is as varied as, as human societies can be. But there are these basic needs for a sense of certainty, uh, a means of dissociation, mm-hmm. um, uh, the sense of needing to have another object in which to place faith that is higher than you, however you characterize that, whether it's peer-reviewed papers or a burning bush or a book or whatever. But it's, it seems to be hardwired into human nature. And, yeah, this, uh, this need for dissociation, um, yeah, it's clearly been used for, uh, for ill and, you know, and for, you know, for, you can see when, um, Shoemaker talks about, uh, the, the techniques that are used, uh, you know, there's like this mass hypnosis or this, this speaking of tongues. Where um, you know these, these, the congregation is put into this dissociative state, and uh, the suggestions are, are basically able to be uh, implanted uh, in, into the people, and you know this is kind of I think tying into uh, the earlier conversation where you know there's not really uh, the the person's own will involved in informing uh, those things and you know if there is this this need um, or, or the, this basic function uh, of human being of human being for dissociation you know this, this there there can be something good in that too well, I um, think the the problem with shoemaker is that he he himself is an adherent to the religion of scientific materialism and so his approach in the book is that, yeah, we might be hard, hardwired for this, but it's kind of like a, a freak of nature, and and uh, we might really need it, but there's nothing to it really. So, mm-hmm. so he doesn't consider the the idea that this dissociation aspect, for example, is an actual dissociation from earthly reality, like yeah. uh, material reality, and a connection with something that's actually real, some higher level of reality, and so. So he ignores that and kind of discounts it. But like you're saying, that not only may there be a, um, a positive aspect to it, but there may actually be a, a, a real aspect to it. Like it, it may actually be be something that is integral and part of the, the cosmos that, 
that a lot of people deny and a lot of people just get wrong. But there, um, even the fact that we are hardwired for it, well, why are we hardwired for it? Maybe there is something about the nature of reality itself that hardwires it, us for it in order to access it. Right. But uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, that, I was, yeah, I think that's uh, that was pretty much. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, it, Schumacher's book does have that that limitation, but but the information he lays out is, is really yeah. really fascinating. Um, and this is where you get that that stream of mysticism that crops up in every mm-hmm. socially structured religion is that there are those few who who can tap into that, and and they say remarkably the same things. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's another aspect I wanted to get into. Is that, so you've, you've kind of identified this division within religions, and I think this can tell us a lot about religion itself. And, uh, I mean, we've been pretty critical about religion so far on the show today, and I think that what we're actually doing is that we're, because uh, if, if we identify like religion like, like as this way of life, then we're really just criticizing a, a base, basic level um, of like all humanity, it's like low-level type religion, and which naturally, because of the the makeup of human beings, you're going to have this variety of across um, within any religion, just like you'll find within any group. You're going to find the pathological element, you're going to find the authoritarian element, and you're going to find that that small minority of people who actually uh, can see what's going on and have a conscience and use their brains, use their minds to to discern reality and to 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 to, to say, well, no, this is better than that, and there's something fundamentally wrong with this, so we should do that. But and and uh, a lot of people just can't see that, and so I I think that um, it's not necessarily that that religion is all bad, and if, in fact, I, I totally disagree with with Dawkins and and Hitchens when they say things like that, when they blame everything on religion. Because, you know, for them, if we just got rid of religion, the world would be a great place. But uh, I, I don't think that's right. And in fact, I think that's totally ridiculous. If we just got rid of religion, we'd have, like, the everything that's wrong about secularism. We'd have people like these Reconstructionists, like, reading, uh, you know, American law and American precedent and coming up with just totally insane reasons for why we should go around killing people. Um, and they wouldn't need any kind of religious holy book because their holy book would become – or their holy book would be something that wasn't previously holy. They'd take something that has been secular and turn it into a holy book. It's part of the of the human mindset. It's not like religion is thing out there that controls us. Yeah, it's, it's basically part of kind of like what you were saying earlier. You know, there is something within human nature that's religious. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's – there is these different definitions that we're working from, but if we're looking at religion, organized religion, um, you know, at this base level, this this type of structure exists, like you're saying, um, in, in, all, in all aspects of, of our lives. And if there wasn't organized religion, it wouldn't really matter because mm-hmm. it, would, it would manifest in other ways. Yeah. Yeah, it would show up just under different labels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, that – or go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, you know, one, one of the – big problems with organized religion is that uh, it never really approaches anything close to a spiritual or metaphysical understanding of life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it speaks, uh, you know, very much through the interpretation of whoever is picking out passages here and there and adding their own twist to what they think the, the text that they're reading from means. Um, and there's, 
there's no drawing upon any other information or knowledge uh, that that would somehow, in their minds, undercut their own uh, their own texts. Um, so maybe we can uh, maybe we can describe religion or true religion as something that um, that reaches objective understanding of of life and all its processes in every sphere. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it would create uh, Dubrovsky's hierarchy of values. Mm-hmm. Um, if Dawkins and Hitchens had their way, the, that sense of values could go out the window. Although I, I, yeah, There's no such thing as values yeah, anymore. But I, I read something really interesting once that, that anybody who says that they're an atheist is is lying to themselves just by virtue of the fact that they have grown up embedded in a culture that is through and through Judeo-Christian, whether or not they ever set foot in a church or cracked open a Bible mm-hmm. or anything, it is so pervading in our in our culture. And somebody remarked once that it's amazing that a 2,000-year-old Iron Age religion is still running things in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, you are Judeo-Christian if you grew up in the West, whether or not you mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, there. that reminds me, Carolyn, I, I worked with two people uh, – who got married. And these were people who didn't go to church, uh, didn't espouse any particularly Christian uh, values. But uh, when it came time to get married, they did it in a Catholic church um, with like, you know, like super, super Catholic uh, rituals and, and everything. And I, I, it just boggled my mind that they would, it's like the default uh, answer mm-hmm. to, to this um Something that uh, I think you know, every everyone should decide how they want to be married, and it should vary individualistic and uh, and reflect who they are as people. And um, but evidently, that reflected who they were as people. Uh, there was no uh, creativity to it. It was all kind of prefabricated. Yeah, I've got a similar example. Now, simple. You know, raised Catholic, but didn't really, you know, grew, at a certain age stopped going to church, and you know, religion was never a big part of their life. But as soon as again, as soon as they got married, uh, you know, big Catholic wedding, and as soon as they had kids, it's like then all of a sudden all that all that stuff that's been under the surface and you know influencing your mind in ways that you don't even know comes up, and all of a sudden you know the question comes up: Oh well, you know, what if they're right, and what if my kid will go to hell if he doesn't get baptized? And so of course the kid gets baptized and gets into church and Sunday school and. It's like, where did that come from? Well, it's it's because they've been raised in this, in they've been swimming in the sea of Catholicism their whole life, even if they haven't really acknowledged it. And then, when something important happens, then you know that's the that's the hook that got them. Because, oh, what if? Well, there's something too to that. Religion has the function of providing markers of passage, and since they're the only ones you have, yeah. um, because. Nobody's had the creativity and insight to come up with something different. So, you know, you get married, you have kids, you have whatever. There's this this pullback to to something that will give these markers meaning. And that's that's all you have. I mean, if you're in some tribe in Africa, you get tattooed and you get taken out into the bush and dropped off for three days. And you come, I mean, everybody has their markers of passage, Mm -hmm. but ours are the only ones we have. They're worn out and meaningless. But it's all we've got. I yeah. mean, when I got confirmed when I was 14, right, and I was really excited about it. I was very religious growing up, mm-hmm. very religious, but in, in the sense of really wanting to 
find that meaning. And I remember I cried because I thought this was going to be some big meaningful change. And it was the idea of empty ritual. Ah, you're let down. Mm-hmm. I was so let down because, you know, in, and, and I thought that, you know, they pulled up their socks on this one, but I had like, we were supposed to go to classes. We had like three classes and you kind of memorize some stuff. And, and it, it was just, it should have been, should have been something really meaningful. Mm-hmm. And you know, I read mm-hmm. all the Bible things and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all that stuff. And it was horrible. And I think that was kind of the beginning of a very long process of going, this is bullshit. And I think that points out something that's just really sad about uh, the world we live in and the way that we grow up. Because there there is this hardwiring, that this need for something that just isn't provided. Mm-hmm. And we just get these empty substitutes for something that is probably integral to human development. And we totally lack these objective means of fulfilling those mm-hmm. those inner inner drives that need something in order to express them. Mm-hmm. And so, we, so I mean, it's, it's sad to, to think about, about young Carolyn, you know, totally, uh, totally disappointed because this was a totally empty ritual and it should have meant something. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that just shows that, that the, first of all, that there, there is a place for religion and that there probably is something like an ideal religion, like these things can be fulfilled in, in healthy and rational um, like uh, in rational ways, um, encompassing uh, you know a worldview a worldview that encompasses all aspects of reality, but we don't have that, and instead we're just left with these cheap um, you know plastic religions that are made in China and constantly being disappointed by them. Um, this the topic kind of reminds me of just the uh, electoral process. And you know we have we have this Messiah that that you every know we believe years. in every four years, <laughs> the new Messiah. And and you know the the, the faith that uh, so many Americans have in in this process, and it's it's there, there's this like I was saying earlier, there's this religious zeal behind it. And you know, and then and then the their savior gets elected, and then they're completely let down. But that that yearning is there; yeah. it's yeah. constantly there, and. And that might be described uh, through, you know, what we're talking about, that there is this thing inside us that, that means something but is never really being fulfilled just because these 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 systems that we have are they're completely crap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Carolyn, I have to say as a counterpoint, when I had um, my bar mitzvah when I was 13, mm-hmm. um, it, there was so little substance taught in, in my Hebrew classes and, and uh, I guess, Jewish history classes mm-hmm. that... Right after the bar mitzvah, that was it. <laughs> I mean, I, Your mom was happy. Right? My mom was happy. They got the pictures. I got my <laughs> gifts, and uh, but that was. I never went back. Yeah. You know, and then and then I started to read about all sorts of different other things. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, uh, I I didn't have that uh, that faith in Judaism that you had in Catholicism yeah. to to have me feel let down. Yeah. Um, I was. You know, my religion, if there was any kind of religion that I was brought up with, as distinct from Judaism, was Zionism. Uh-huh. It, you know, it is, it's all about Israel being strong and protected. And, uh, and that, for me, was the big crushing uh, kind of disillusionment mm-hmm. with, with the whole thing. Um, because uh, I, I understand the knee-jerk reaction. I understand the emotionalism that that goes behind uh, defending the religion of Zionism, mm-hmm. 
which has nothing to do with Judaism, uh, or, or maybe kind of just peripherally connected. And um, you know, and, until you until you experience the pain of of seeing it as the sham that it is, uh, you know, and nobody wants to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand the knee jerk reaction of of most Zionists, and and I you know. Uh, I can't say that I, um, um, you know, I'm forgiving of it uh, because it, it, it permits so much criminal activity. Um, but it is a religion, and uh, and they really somebody really has to be prepared uh, inside of themselves and strong to recognize that that it's a, a construct and and doesn't have any kind of real objective um, value. Well, I just want to go back to just kind of one of the dynamics that we've been talking about, about religion and specifically kind of looking at a religion and looking at the, the kind of everything that's wrong with that religion and then making this kind of making blanket statements about the people in that religion. So, of course, we, we see that nowadays with, uh, with Islam where because of the things that we see in the news and the examples and just uh, you know all the false flag terrorism that portrays uh, Islam, Islam as being responsible for, for all these terrorist attacks, the, the notion is that Islam is fundamentally an evil religion, and therefore there's no su- or there's, it's very rare, and there's, or there's no such thing as a moderate uh, Muslim, and they're all crazy. But uh, again, I think this is another myth, and this is another uh, just—it's kind of a religious view of other religions. And so we've got this really narrow-minded view, not only of religion, but it shows a, um, a kind of total ignorance about human nature. Because if we look at the things that, like guys like ISIS are doing, and the, the justifications that we give that they give for the things that they do, um, you could find the same. First of all, the same source material, the same types of source material in any religion. You can find the same historical precedents for these types of things. I mean, if you read some of the stuff that's in the, for example, the um, like the Jewish commentaries, like the the Talmud and the the Mishnah and, and things like that. I mean, you find some crazy stuff in there. So, for example, you know, if the high priest um, disobeys any of the purity laws when entering the the holy of holies, then he must be uh, beaten and killed by, um, you know, being clubbed in the head. So basically, just imagine this happening. So this this uh, high priest, you know, goes into the temple and he's about to, you know, officiate and do whatever thing, whatever he does, and you know, he forgot to, I don't know, brush off a little bit of lint off of his, you know, his luscious robes, and then oh, you know, sorry, dude, it's like let's take you out and brain you, and that's what we got to do because that's what the book says and that's the way we've interpreted. Um, you know our holy books. So, and but um, but no one will read that and say that therefore. Well, and even if that happened today, I mean, it doesn't happen today because the the whole cultic aspect of Judaism has not been around for two thousand years. Uh, but if that were to happen today, do you think is it rational? Is it reasonable? Does it make sense to therefore say that that uh, Judaism itself and therefore all Jews are evil and are these evil people and we should just get rid of it. No, of course not. Because like we were saying about the just the nature of humanity, you'll find you're going to find a, a division within any group where you're going to have the the crazies like the people that wrote these, you know, ridiculous rules and and laws about the the times 
you know, the situations in which it's totally legal to, to kill someone or to kill someone and then say, this is another example. So you say, you know, if someone is, is um, judged to be um, guilty of something and therefore they should be stoned to death, well, there's a, you know, a subclause to that, that if they're, if they're to be stoned to death, what actually happened is that they fell from a roof. So, you know, if they wanted to stone someone, they'd stone them, but then the official, you know, record of death would be that they fell from the roof, roof because they didn't want to, you know, it was just a, the cover story, right? Like, like, um, um, the, the, the wife ran into the man's fist, right? That would be what goes in the police report. So these are the kind of things that, that you might find in, in, uh, you know, Jewish holy books. But, and so of course you're, you're going to find the same stuff in the, in uh, the Quran, and you're going to, and the same practices, even if it's not in the Quran, even if it's not in the Talmud or whatever, and you're going to find the same things in Christianity, like these guys think that it's going to be okay to stone uh, gays to death. And but that's, the, I think that what Hitchens and guys like Hitchens and Dawkins don't realize is that there there is, in a sense, in a sense, things aren't as bad as they think, because things would be just as bad regardless, like we were saying, because. No matter how, no matter what crazy stuff you're going to find in a in a holy book, you're never going to get uh, more than a certain number of people who are going to to look at that and actually put it into practice, because there are always people that are just gonna, that are going to be repulsed by that yeah. just naturally, and so you're never going to get a hundred percent of a group of people to get behind this sort of thing. It's always going to be like this crazy minority, yeah. and you might get some crazy attitudes. And but it'll it'll never it'll never escalate, and you're going to have those attitudes regardless of whether that religion even exists and whether that holy book even exists, because mm-hmm. people are going to find an excuse for killing pe- other people. It's just what happens. And their religion is their narrative yeah. as to why they did it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when really, you know, the the impulse to kill for rational reasons comes from within themselves. And uh, you know, you hear about um, Muslim clerics all over the U.S who come out and say, no, uh, this whole jihadi philosophy has nothing whatsoever to do with Islam. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, you have uh, Christian churches and, and synagogues and, um, and Muslim um, temples that all have an interpretation of the text that, that speaks to their inner nature more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And they it's will like a Rorschach test. Yeah, pretty much. It's a reflection of, of of the values and the development as individuals that these that these folks uh have. But at the same time, I think it would be a great step for mankind if and for religious kind if the you know the heads of all these religions all over the world, you get, gather them all together and if they could actually think for a minute and be decent people and look at the Bible and have this and the whatever holy book they have and have a huge conference that's televised all over the world and look at specific passages and look at it and say, no, that's wrong. It's like, we're just going to delete that. I mean, we can put it in some kind of archive so that, you know, for historical purposes, so people can look at it and look how stupid people were in the past. But that's wrong. We don't believe it. We don't believe it because it's it's totally insane and, you know, well, get the, over the it. The problem is that all of these books have had infallibility written into them. Exactly. And they've had, like, you know, if you change one word, you will be cursed to the seventh level of whatever hell you have. What I, what I find really interesting is, is how there's a sort of break in relationship to the divine that you find be, before 
Christianity became the all-pervasive, Judeo-Christian became kind of the all-pervasive underpinning of Western society. In in pagan religions, you you didn't take your uh, you didn't take your gods. A you had a, you had a bunch, so you had your pick, which was nice. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't want to worship one god. You know, they weren't going to get offended if you were worshiping another god. So, um, but the idea was is that the gods were personifications of forces that you wanted to stay on good terms with. They didn't prescribe your behavior, except in in very few cases. I mean, I mean, the, the most famous one is, is hospitality. You had hospitality because you never knew if you were hosting a god. So, the uh, the safest thing was to treat everybody as if they were a visiting deity, just because you wanted to be on the safe side of things. But they weren't prescribing behavior. They weren't you know, you, you go in and sacrificed your your rooster or your bull or whatever it is that you felt you needed to do, and you visited the temple on whatever day it was their holy day. But you didn't you didn't have hanging over your head the same way that you have, you know, God and Jesus hanging over your head now. And I want that one like a healthier way of dealing with things. You know? Well, I don't know. Uh, it might have been healthier, but I think there are probably still better ways. Well, I think oh, the, yeah. the best. Yeah, I'm just saying it's, it's 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 amazing to watch yeah. the transformation between this other sort of mm-hmm. not exactly a quid pro quo, but but a sort of you know I'll do what you need to be happy, and then I'll get on with my life. To having every every aspect, you know, theoretically subjected to this lens that you have to deal with, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I think that the best the the best part of that ancient view is kind of the the hospitality mentality, because um, in a sense it is a, it is a prescription of behavior. It's uh, but it's more of a, a social kind of a way of interacting with other humans. Mm-hmm. So this is how you should act. You should act as if this person might be a god, and treat them well. And I think if more people did that, we'd be in a, in a better of a place oh, yeah. on planet Earth today. But then um, I think that, for example, like the the sacrifices and the, um, you know, staving off God's wrath by, you know, killing a white boar or whatever, um, I think we can, no, we we can come up. We can dispense with that. Yeah, we can come up with, with better ways. But I'm just saying the mindset was, yeah. was a little more, less craven, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, Carolyn, what you mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, religious leaders meeting, um, no, Harrison. and or Harrison, yeah. uh, brings up um, some bit in the news about um, Pope Francis. So apparently, he's going to come to uh, to New York City uh, next month, and he's going to have a interfaith service um, at the museum at the World Trade Center, which is in itself a big lie, of course. Um, on September 25th, and um, I don't know. I'm 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 still trying to get a grasp of of who this guy is. Apparently, this is going to be part of a, a tour of the U.S. He's going to be hitting a few places, and um, he'll also be speaking um, at the annual UN General Assembly of World Leaders. Uh, he's going to be talking about. Uh, Climate change and uh, and Earth changes among other things. Uh, well, Earth changes is my interjection, um, but it comes on the same day that 
that this uh, foreign French um, minister, Laurent Fabius, uh, said that climate chaos would begin. So about 500 days prior to uh, September 25th, he said that uh, climate chaos will begin on September 25th, 2015. So, uh, you a know. Prophecy. This, yes. This, this was a government minister making a prophecy? He did. He did it in the company of uh, John Kerry in a meeting he had with him uh, in 2014. So. Um, well, his credibility just dropped right there, but okay. Yeah. John Kerry. Well, the question in my mind is, you know, aside from. Uh, Aside from his uh, the Pope's attempt to uh, you know kind of shore up all the losses that the Church has received because of um, uh, all the stories of pet- pedophilia uh, that have come out in the past few years, uh, is he trying to reestablish the Church at this point? Is the guy you know does the guy have any good intent? Uh, is it all political? Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything new under the sun with Francis? Uh, I mean, the guy's even gone so far as to uh, invite Oprah Winfrey and Matt Damon um, to, to help him with the uh, with the church's image globally because of all of this. So uh, he's reaching out in all these different ways. Um, and uh, so the question in my mind is: this, Is this all more of the same, uh, or is he is he in on on something uh, that's uh, that the elites sort of expect to happen around that time? that he intends to capitalize on, it wouldn't surprise me either. Well, the the prediction that, you know, there's going to be, you know, some uh, some really big climate change events, that's, that's kind of a given. <laughs> like, these things are already happening, you know, all the time. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd say the, the prediction is, is already kind of a moot point here. Um, but it is interesting that, Pope Francis is uh, kind of opening his arms to bring in the uh, religion of climate change, uh, you know, into into the the whole Catholic religion, and you know, it, it seems like a, a natural merger to me. <laughs> well, when you were saying that, Ilan, it just it just made me think that I think that the reason, for, or one of the reasons that a lot of the the, the mainstream religions are so corrupt and so full of the kind of the lowest of low of humanity. Uh, pedophilia is what I'm thinking of is because um, for a number of reasons, because if religion is this thing, first of all, it's hard, hardwired into us that people need in some sense. And if it does have to do with these, with this, um, this sense of the, the numinous or the ultimate that people need and that people recognize on some level, even if they can't, um, can't express it or can't really identify what it is or you know, can't even tell um, when they're being bamboozled by some false view of reality, you've got this situation where people are going to flock to these religions. And so it's kind of like, well, where else would you go? You want to go to the place that people need, where people will, will always be, be coming back, where people are most vulnerable and where they can be most controlled. So in the one sense, religion is kind of this, for me, it looks, it's kind of like an, this embodiment of all that is possibly best and worst about humanity, because at least on, on the surface, on paper, it espouses to be, to be this ultimate thing, this best thing. Mm-hmm. And so people flock to it, but on the other hand, that means that it is going to be the most vulnerable to corruption and to evil. And so 
I think that's what what uh, a lot of people don't want to admit or realize is that by the very nature of what religions are and the way they are structured in human society, that they are going to be full of evil. And regardless of what religion it is. Well, it kind of goes back to what I think uh, Anna Salter may have wrote about. Um, could have been another author too, who you know was, was talking about how in any uh, institution or field where you know you have vulnerable people, um, you're going to have this influx of, of predator mm-hmm. types. Um, you know, you see it. You see it in like the um, the helping fields, like with psychology and uh, human services, and and we of course see it in the church. Um, these 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 predators are looking for people who are um, in that state where they want you know they want to have some answers, and unfortunately, um, you know, there's just so many predators out there, and we don't have the the uh, general knowledge to um, to identify these types, and you know that that's really the um, the unfortunate thing about it. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing too is is that will that need for guidance, for structure, for safety. It short circuits. I mean, you know, if you want to go back to the Bible, the Bible told you exactly. It says, "By your fruits you shall know." But the the need that you're talking about trumps the ability to take that phrase and apply it. So you get these people, and, and I mean, no predator can operate totally in secrecy, but because there's this, this cognitive dissonance between I need the structure, I need this, you know, this person represents the structure that I need so much, then it, it seems to, to short-circuit the ability to actually look at that person, that individual's actions, and say, these are wrong, and it should be dealt with, and it's... And it's that it's almost like been institutionalized this cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cognitive dissonance and it's learned helplessness. Mm. Um, yes. So you know we don't really we're not really instructed on how to uh, care of ourselves in every way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we you know we um, believe in the religion of uh, modern medicine. Uh, we don't seek out our own. Um, our own cures, our, our own ways of making ourselves healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to these uh, these institutions, uh, these churches. We put our faith in, uh, in in leaders who can very well turn out to be predators, or at least idiots, or idiots. You know, because you, you, you take you take you know chemotherapy or something like that, and you can manifestly see that you're getting worse, and you but you carry on with it because of your faith. In the church of the white coat and learning uh, I mean you go to school in the US and and you it's shocking the level of uh, of competency that uh, that teachers have even professors in, in colleges in many cases these are many of them people who have no original uh, capacity to think or to encourage their students to think on their own um, it's all it's all dogma it's all syllabus it's talking points it's uh, it's an indoctrination. So, um, so maybe we can add to the definition of, of a true religion uh, the ability to constructively seek out your own um, solutions to 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 any problem. Where that a true religion would encourage that. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing that you know. It seems that curiosity has been by and large kind of stamped out. 
you know, it's it's not it's really non-existent in the education system or when when we do go through um, you know different crises if there's not the curiosity to look to understand and to know about you know why you know why am I going through this what's what's going on um, you know whether it's a, a physical ailment or um, you know relationship dynamics and so on you know if there's not the the need to understand for yourself then and you just want reliance on you know some other authority to tell you what to do then you know that what's what's the point of that there there's no aspect of uh life and you know religion should be an interaction with life and when there's that absence you know it's it's just like this downward spiral um and you know it's 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 really a, a our our religions are really an anti-religion anti-life i think that maybe part of the reason for that comes back to the the whole idea of this infallible text and these and these holy books because the whole idea of the infallible text is that it's there it's finished that's all there is to it and all your answers are and in there. all your answers are in there so rather than approaching life as this as one long stretch of discovery and learning and and knowing more and more about reality and even about god if, if you want to go there then all the answers are there and so that just the the idea of having a holy book closes people off from any further discovery mm-hmm. from any even wanting to know anything more because it's all there but the the ironic thing is that when you for these people that you know if it's not in the King James mm-hmm. version then it's not real for me well they are just walking contradictions in the sense that there are a million things that they do in their lives every day that are not in the Bible and that they're they're living totally unbiblical lives, and so they should be probably be stoned uh, for being heretics. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible about T-shirts, so why do people wear T-shirts? Um, fibers. Yeah, they didn't have computers back then, so how are you supposed to know if computers are good or bad? Well, they must be bad because they're not in the Bible. So no computers, no TV. Um, I mean, no Republican Party. No cell phones. No cell phones. No God, internet. For God's sake, stop eating shellfish. Yeah. <laughs> No fast food. I mean, think about all the things that aren't in the Bible. And, you know, well, those are kind of frivolous, frivolous examples. But oh, wasn't uh, it all like 10 years ago they finally took Galileo off the shit list? Oh, I shouldn't have said that very <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, for 300 years the guy was, was you know, prescribed yeah. for saying that the moon was not a perfect perfect round disk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The Bible should have ended with an ellipsis, you know, to be continued by whoever wants to add stuff to it. And then we, at least then, you know, we could, well, first of all, it would be kind of entertaining, but then you might actually get some good stuff that gets added to the Bible. Um, oh, you know. I, I, don't, I don't know, because, you know, <laughs> we have the Constitution, and that's supposed to be, you know, being able to yeah, amend it. And, yeah, you can fix that one up. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Only smart people allowed to, to add stuff to it. <laughs> yeah, you see, it's, it's just a, it's, there's no, there's no, easy solution it's like a no-win situation but uh well um in the news recently uh the story about louis farrakhan uh who is uh one of the leaders of vision of islam um and uh i don't know i have i have mixed feelings about the nation of islam and on one hand they um they seem to have a kind of a conservative family values um, 
you know, keep a clean life type of philosophy, uh, if if not without some racist uh, overtones um, against white people, which is quite understandable in some sense. Uh, but in any case, let's listen to this passage. Um, this is from a speech that he had given at Mount Zion Baptist Church in Miami, um, Louis Farrakhan. I'm looking for 10,000 in the midst of a million. Listen, listen. I'm looking for 10,000 in the midst of the million. Millions. of the million. 10,000 fearless men. Who say death is sweeter than continued life under tyranny. Death is sweeter than to continue to live and bury our children while white folks give the killer hamburgers. Death is sweeter than watching us slaughter each other. To the joy of a 400-year-old enemy, death, death is sweet. The Quran teaches persecution is worse than slaughter. Then it says retaliation is prescribed in matters of the slain. Retaliation is a prescription from God to calm the breath of those whose children have been slain. So if the federal government will not intercede in our affairs, then we must rise up and kill those who kill us. Stop them and kill them and let them feel the pain of death that we are feeling. Oh boy. Well, so Farrakhan is um, saying all this in the context of uh, the rash of um, police killings of blacks in the U.S., among other things. And um, so basically, I mean, he's calling for his own uh, his own jihad, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, some things to know about Farrakhan, uh, which are pretty interesting, I think. Um, is that he was uh, in kind of a competition with Malcolm X for the time that Malcolm X um, was one of the nominal leaders of the Nation of Islam in the 60s um, and has, in, in the 80s, um, 
after Malcolm X was assassinated, uh, has taken responsibility um, in interviews. He's he's basically um, kind of admitted to his participation in the assassination of Malcolm X. Uh, Louis Farrakhan, uh, many people believe, was under the pay or influence of the FBI as part of a, um, an attempt at COINTELPRO uh, or subverting um, the Nation of Islam as a, as a black movement. So, you know, taken together, uh, the fact that uh, Farrakhan took responsibility for the FBI, uh, for the assassination, rather, of, uh, of Malcolm X, um, you know, the FBI was went after uh, Martin Luther King um, with uh, with great zeal. Um, you know, he is, I think, um, someone can safely say, uh, part of the problem. And when we look at the whole idea, as we've discussed previously on the show, of how legitimate grievances uh, can be uh, subverted by um, by government agencies. I think we can safely assume that this speech was heard as probably uh, another kind of um, piece towards creating a color revolution in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting thing is that Farrakhan, although he doesn't uh, connect himself to psychology, has had thousands of, of folks in the Nation of Islam uh, get audited um, through the Dianetics uh, process of Scientology. So a lot of weirdness there, considering Scientology's background. Um, its founder was also in, uh, in military and naval intelligence, L. Ron Hubbard. Um, and uh, I, think, I think folks should, uh, should really be paying attention to what guys like Farrakhan are saying right now. Yeah, it reminded me of a clip that I saw recently of some so-called black Israelites. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I hadn't heard of these guys, but it's kind of—it's this movement of of uh, well, black Israelites. So they want to—they're kind of like the Reconstructionists. They want to bring back, uh, you know, biblical law. And so there's this like 16-minute video of them on the streets. I think it was in New York, just uh, you know, just being total idiots and. Uh, they themselves are totally racist, so they'll they'll uh, they'll call you know white people or Chinese people or whatever any kind of like racial epithet, and uh, th- but so the way the the thing that reminded me of them is that these guys say that um, well I'll, I'll put it in my own words slavery is wrong, and uh, we were enslaved, and so therefore we're going to enslave you because that's what the Bible says you will be our slaves. So it's the same thing. Like you guys are evil, you're killing us, so we're going to kill you. It's it's just it's a uh, it's kind of farcical logic that um, that these groups go through. And I wouldn't be surprised if these black Israelites are also, uh, you know, infiltrated or even even created by FBI or or you know similar group. That's very biblical. It's an eye for an eye. Yeah. And so yeah. it's kind of weird to hear a. Muslim preacher sounding kind of like a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Enough. <thing. laughs> 
The Quran. I mean, when he came out with the Quran, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Well, that that type of speech always fascinates me to listen to. Yeah. You know, um, you, you hear it. <clears throat> it is. Um, and Prosody. You, you hear it so often in religious speech, um, but it, it's... It, it is that like hypnotic, and maybe we should just all talk like that all the time, you know. <laughs> but um, um, you know, it, within that though too, you know, there are there have been there are people who are able to use language in positive ways too. Um, you know, Martin Luther King, like he was he was just a, a tremendous speaker, and you know, when you're speak when there is conscience behind that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's 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 a it's totally different. Um, Say it, brother Shane. <laughs> Speak the truth. I walked up on the mountain, and I saw God. And he said to me, don't read those holy books. They are wrong, and they are false. Say it, brother. Preach. Preach. But, yeah, you have, you know, you have, when uh, this past week I was listening to a lot of uh, George Galloway, uh, just like, you know, and there's something in, in that that, that, yeah. can be, that can be good when it's talked, when you know, there's actual truth behind the word. Mm-hmm. But, but when, you know, you have somebody like uh, Farrakhan and he's talking to this audience and, you know, you, and you can hear the, the, that yes mentality mm-hmm. that, that he's in training people. Yeah. And, and then he says, let's kill them. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's the one guy saying, like, yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> well, that, 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 again, speaks to, to, to a certain amount of hard wiring in the brain, that, that, mm-hmm. that kind of delivery and that kind of rhythm. And the church religion has co-opted that mm-hmm. and made, you know, made hay with it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's something. I mean, when when you're in seminary, you are taught how to preach. You are taught this kind of delivery. I mean, not necessarily to the exaggeration of of that you see in a, in a good Southern preacher, but you know, you you can hear it in the sermons. Like you know, we get new priests every couple of years. They'd rotate them out, but they would all have a very similar delivery. Mm-hmm. So you know, little psychology slipped in there for everybody. And even it, uh, I think I'm wondering if one of the mechanisms might be. Because uh, I said prosody, but that, that's a, isn't that one of the the methods of vagal stimulation? Is uh, it's that social bondedness? Is mm-hmm. it's that uh, that sing song voice? And mm-hmm. it does have an effect on uh, on your nervous system, and and it puts you in a state mm-hmm. and uh, makes yeah, you more music, receptive. Some candles, yeah. really good looking, you know, set pieces. And I mean, the Catholic. Did anybody ever see um, connections with Jane Burke? Nope. Oh, great, great series from the 70s. You can find it on YouTube. And he uh, is very tongue-in-cheek, whipped through history, but he would he would start with some kind of invention or some kind of idea and then go back to – he would make these connections as to how it came along, and then he would start the earliest one. And one of them, I can't remember what he was coming from and where he was getting to, but along the way he started talking about how the church – in like the 900s was kind of in a crisis and everything. And he, he uh, said, you know, and the, and the church fathers looked around and they, and, and he pans through this really ancient Gothic church and it's nothing but stone and it's dark and it's cold and whatever. And they said, we need a makeover or something equivalent to that. And they turned it into this. And he goes to one of the Renaissance cathedrals and there's gold leaf everywhere and, and paintings and beautiful statues and candles and, you know, and, and it was all about, you know, mm-hmm. selling yourself. 
to something that was good and fun and you know mm-hmm. yeah. break break from your week well a lot of that a lot of those speeches too like they i think they also work because they don't necessarily make sense mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's not necessarily there doesn't need to be this logical yeah. um, like a nursery rhyme it, yeah it's it's all it's all it's all this it's basically built on emotion so you know somebody could be con- like speaking just complete gibberish and you can still train the minds of, of people as long as you have that sing-song type uh, mm-hmm. rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, another nefarious tool. <laughs> well, I think we're, we're at that point in the show where we have to do our duty and uh, and play, uh, you know, our, our paid advertisements. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think this one's going to be good because I think there are a lot of people that need this Need the service, yeah, the service, and uh, and I think that it's uh, it's probably like a multi-billion-dollar industry because I mean we see the effects of it every day. But uh, let's just go ahead and hear it. Hey there, cowboy! Are you ready for the experience of a lifetime? Call now and make a special friend. The crisis in Ukraine, the Israel-Palestine conflict, will make your fantasy reality. And if you just want to chat about Kim Kardashian or the New York Jets opening day, we can do that too. We want to talk. We have eager reporters from CNN, the BBC, Fox News, MSNBC, and all your local news stations ready to be your secret affair. We know what it takes to make you happy. Let's talk it over. One-on-one, nobody else. Confidentiality guaranteed. I want you to be my anonymous source. No request is off limits. I'll say whatever you want me to. So pick up the phone and call now. I'm waiting. It only costs four ninety nine a minute. And a little piece of your soul. Call one nine hundred prostitute. That's one nine hundred prostitute. You must be eighteen years or older. Here's what some of our very satisfied customers have to say. I work for the US State Department and I have to say, one nine hundred prostitute, they really know how to put out um one nine hundred prostitute, they really know how to put together an op ed piece. We had an angle on Putin, we went it out there, and oh boy, did that make me, well, let's just say they really delivered the goods. I've been using other services for over 30 years, running psyops for the CIA, and trying to get things jacked up enough to support all kinds of operations so that people accept it, you know. I never had better results than I had with 1-900-Prostitute. They put our story out there, no questions asked, and none of that due diligence shit. It's the stuff. Wow, I I didn't realize that it would be that easy. Yeah, apparently, you know, you can. There's the service where you know you can just call up and you know you can have your the have choice your of, of prostitutes mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll they'll tell you whatever you know whatever it is that you need to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you spread spread some propaganda. Mm-hmm. They're at your service. <laughs> yeah, well, they'll say anything you want me to. It's it's totally factual. I mean, the 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 testimonials are in and they you know they do what they promise so anything you want them to say they'll say it and uh yeah 
It's just a great service. A minute. That's a bargain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that you know part of our contract is that we have to send out leaflets, so we'll be uh, we'll be sending them out to to Congress and the Senate and and uh, you know. I I thought they were already well aware of the service <laughs> for the newbies that maybe haven't oh, heard yet. Yeah, there's a, new, there's a new crop coming in in November, so. Okay. <laughs> Well, is there anything we'll anything else we want to cover today, or should we wrap it up? All right, so yeah, we're going to end about 20 minutes early today. We got some stuff to do, but I uh, just want to thank all our listeners for tuning in, and make sure to tune in tomorrow behind the headlines, and of course Friday for the health and wellness show. So everyone, take care. Uh, go to church, read your Bible, and or or don't do those things. Amen, brother. <laughs> or and just uh, maybe try to be better Christian, a better Muslim, a better Jew, a better Buddhist, or just to, you know, leave it all behind and try to be a, an actual human. So yeah, everyone, take care. See you next week. And thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. <laughs>